0: Welcome to Learning Transfer Radio, the only podcast fully focused on turning learning into improved performance. If you are a learning or HR professional looking to get more from training or maximise the skills of your workforce, this podcast is for you. I'm your host Virgo Connolly. Let's get started. There are many factors that influence learning transfer. One factor that isn't talked about much is the ecosystem of people that surround and support a learner as they attempt to transfer their learning. There are multiple key players in this relationship and each can be influenced by L&D. On this episode I'm joined by Lisa burke Smalley. Lisa is the ideal guest for this podcast as she has incredible experience of researching learning transfer on an academic level and also has much practical experience of implementing evidence-based approaches in her day-to-day work both as a coach and an educator. In this episode, we dig deep on the topic of accountability and discuss how L&D, supervisors, learners and the learners' peers are accountable in some way for transfer and the key things that need to be considered for each of these stakeholders to increase transfer success. So Lisa, why is accountability important when it comes to learning transfer?
1: Well, we haven't really um, seen a lot until recently in the literature, practitioner or academic literature, about the role of accountability or responsibility for transfer. So we know that transfer is important because of the ROI, and we're trying to maximize the return on investment. And this is an area where I've kind of focused my research in the last several years. Others in the area have as well, Becky Grossman, um, Michael Tews, myself have been publishing, Alan Sachs in this area. And what we're basically trying to target with accountability are three main things. Role clarity. We want people to understand their role as it relates to transferring training. We also want to increase ownership perceptions. So the various stakeholders for transfer, we want them to take ownership of transfer. And lastly, we want there to be perceptions of control, that they have control over whether um, they transfer or how they influence transfer. So those are the three kind of main areas in accountability we're trying to target, to clarify roles, clarify expectations, And increase that sense of ownership for transfer. And um, that's why um, I think it's important to take a look at that. Hasn't really been looked at that lens that much. And I think the reason is it kind of gets into you know, I know one of the things you want to talk about are the challenges in this area. And I think one of the challenges with studying accountability as it relates to transfer is it can land as, oh, this is going to be really bureaucratic, very mechanistic, a lot of rules, regulations, policies come off as being very much a strong arm approach to transfer. And what I would say is as we go through some examples and talk about this kind of um, grid, accountability grid, for different stakeholders and what they can do to influence transfer before, during, and after interventions is that, you know, think of this if you're a practitioner on a continuum. If you're in an organization that has more structure and your culture is really mechanistic, you can dial up the language that makes it more formalized and routinized with policies and procedures. If you're in a more organic kind of culture or structure in a startup organization, you're more entrepreneurial, again, organic, you can use less of that structure, right? So maybe it's not a transfer agreement, but an action plan, right? So the verbiage can change. And so I would encourage practitioners to think on a continuum what kind of culture are you in, in your organization? What kind of structure do you have? What kind of tasks do trainees work on? Are they closed tasks that are very scripted and wrote and routine? Or are they open tasks that allow for more problem solving and creativity and modify some of these ideas to be more formalized or less formalized as we go through them?
0: Great. I love the the adaptable approach. It's not it's not a one size fits all. And I think um, a lot of people in the L and D they love a one size fits all. They love a good template. You know, they, they love something that they can kind of take from one situation and apply it to a lot of different situations. But learning is complex. Learning transfer is complex. We need a very individualized, personalized approach to how we how we design for for different teams in different cultures for different companies. And I love what you said there about responsibility and accountability, because I think one of the things that we we face in l and d is a lot of the times the businesses that we work for, they feel that it's it's the training team's responsibility to make these things happen. Why aren't why aren't people transferring the learning? Oh, that's that's on the training team, surely. So they they created the training, they invited all these people to their training, they delivered it, they did whatever they did, and then people didn't do it. So that's on the training team, surely. But I think what we're going to get into today is that um, the training professionals are just one of the key factors involved in accountability. What are the biggest challenges in this area when you're trying to influence accountability?
1: Yeah, I think It's not knowing who your organization is, your audience is, not knowing your business enough as a trainer, and this speaks to really HR in general. What is your business strategy? What is the structure? What kind of culture do you work in? Um, What kind of tasks um, is the training happening on? Is it a high supervised kind of environment? Or is there low supervision and like knowledge work? Those are very different kinds of um, variables where um, organizations fall. And sometimes I think as trainers, we don't stand back and look at the big picture. Are we working for an organization that is highly mechanistic, formalized, routine, and that's fine, right? There are certain organizations and industries, um, you know, that have a lot of safety protocols, for example, that have a lot of public safety implications of their work, where that is done, it's close um, and high supervision, right? Very highly supervised. The tasks are kind of closed and wrote and formalized and routine, and then. The other side, so for the trainer, am I really in that kind of environment or am I more in the entrepreneurial, creative, knowledge work, um, organic kind of culture, open tasks, and low supervision? And, And so you've got to take a step back and know who you are as a trainer, the organization you serve and work with. And I think to to kind of capitalize on your point, there's, I think with transfer, there's a lot of finger pointing that goes on. I think that managers look at trainers and go, transfer is your responsibility. And I think trainers, trainers look at managers and say, it's your responsibility to some extent. And, you know, everybody's kind of doing the finger pointing and we can kind of, Um, finger point past one another and forget that we need to work as a system and a collective. And so that, again, coming back to accountability, again, the three points, the role clarity, what's your role in supporting transfer, right? Whether you are the first line supervisor of the trainee, you are the trainer, you're the trainee yourself, or whether you're an important coworker or peer who influences the trainee, and then taking that ownership. Um, and so I think it's understanding coming back to who you are, who you serve, what your role is, sticking to your role, um, You know, rising to the challenge of, of what your role is in the whole transfer challenge and problem that we have of just not enough people applying training that they are, are um, afforded the opportunity to
0: experience. You mentioned that we need to get to know our businesses a little bit better. Do you have any kind of approaches that you've used in the past? Do you take a more kind of consultative um, doing interviews and focus groups kind of things or are there surveys you can use to get to know your business a little bit better? Um, what's worked for you in the past?
1: I think being as a trainer or any good HR position or L&D position is informational interviewing, uh, research of your company. Before you even start working at a certain company, um, look at their mission, their vision statement. Look at their published um, company strategy, strategic goals, right, right? What's their mission, vision, strategic goals? How does LD fit in that? And really, from a competitive perspective, how does your company make money? And if you really don't know how they make money, for example, if you're a low cost leader or if you're a differentiator based on innovation or reliability or customer service, you have to understand how those business strategies dictate different HR strategies and L&D strategies. And so whether it's reading archivally what's published on that already or informationally interviewing top execs so that you do not do your job in a vacuum, you have to get out with line management, you have to interact with them, shadow them, um, interview them, exchange with them, and be serving their needs.
0: Yeah, I love that approach, uh, taking a, a very structured approach to understanding um, the people that you serve, but also, you know, getting getting to know them as well on the personal level, because a lot of the times what's written on a on a company's mission statement won't really be reflected, sometimes won't be reflected uh, in the way people actually do things, you know, a lot of the culture of how people do things is is very much unwritten, there's a lot of Unwritten rules. There's a lot of cliques, and there's a lot of um, this is how we do things around here. That's what this is what the company says we do, but this is how the team actually gets stuff done. So getting getting to know the teams uh, who actually who actually uh, who are responsible for for turning this learning into action, getting to know them on the personal level is going to bring back huge dividends when you actually try to roll out a new training intervention for those specific audiences.
1: And, and if I can just really quickly. Cabbage on there and just piggyback on that idea. I would also say to the extent that you can, as an L&D or HR person, do some job rotations through some line areas. Yeah. Um, for example, in the pharmaceutical industry, I worked in finance and accounting before I went into L&D supporting them. All right. So I had that credibility. I had that jargon. I had that language because I actually worked in those areas
0: before I supported them with L&D. So that helps as well. Yeah, definitely. You've, you've built empathy for, for the learner then as well. You, you understand the pain points of what they're going through every single day, so you can therefore create more impactful and useful learning solutions just for them. Amazing. Can you give an example of a concrete solution where you've you've overcome the challenges that we mentioned?
1: Yeah. So, so again, with the accountability lens, what I kind of would like to invoke is kind of broad in Newstrom's work of a grid of important stakeholders and times these stakeholders can influence transfer. So, the supervisors of the trainee peers and coworkers, trainers and trainees, and what can they do before, during and after an intervention to help bolster transfer, again, more from the accountability lens to the extent possible. So I thought what I would do is just start with one of the stakeholders, talk about some of these uh, transfer uh, mechanisms and before, during and after, we can debrief those as need be and then move on to the next stakeholder. Let's start with supervisors, um, and I'm going to focus on the immediate supervisor. I would encourage your audience to look, uh, listen to your other podcasts on managers and leadership generally because that's an important kind of bigger picture perspective. But I think the first-line supervisors of um, trainees need to acknowledge the Importance of transfer in their organization and make it very clear and convey to their employee um, that transfer is important, that they expect the person to um, transfer and bring back and apply learned knowledge and skills. And they can do so um, before the intervention by requesting, for example, a follow-up report that is given by that individual verbally, in writing, a video, whatever modality they um, prefer, where that person is sent to the training full well knowing that their supervisor expects them to pick up on what's relevant for our department. What do we need to do here? And I think by communicating that beforehand, then it just kind of sets up the expectation again this is my role i'm going to take ownership over this and this is what my supervisor expects if the supervisor can also before the training from an accountability lens say here's the opportunities i see that you could apply this specific training let's say for example the supervisor would like the individual to go to effective business presentations training I think that it would be wise for that immediate supervisor to say, and here are the specific presentations I see coming up in our short term horizon or long term horizon. We're having better skills, um, would just help you help our department come off in a more professional way so that opportunities to apply the training are known prior to the person going to the training. And then during the training, I would say from an accountability perspective, any kind of check-ins, right? And those check-ins can be face-to-face, virtual, text, email, whatever. If it's a long, drawn-out online, async, tra- async training, sync Zoom training, whatever, face-to-face, is focus any kind of check-ins with your employee on the training. Hey, what are you learning? What specifically are you picking up on that you're thinking would be relevant most relevant to our department. Um, hey, how about this area? Have you talked to other people in the class or the trainer about um, you know this goal or this issue or this challenge that we're having? And so check-ins need to be training focused. Not um, when I was back as a corporate trainer, a lot of supervisors when they checked in, it was trying to get the person to still do work, right, (laughs) and finish tasks. And so um, I think that says something for supervisors of how poorly your department's probably not very cross-trained very well, if you can't afford to have somebody in an async three-hour module trying to concentrate on training. so um, And then after the training for supervisors, I would say, again, you know, follow up. Let's hear that, that report that you have, report out to us, almost in a train-the-trainer kind of way, which for some companies, really, that from a cost perspective, it makes sense to just send one person, it's so expensive, um, and you learn and bring it back to us. So have that follow-up report, make sure that knowledge is transferred throughout the department and shared, make sure, give them those opportunities to apply, give them feedback if they uh, learned how to better give a presentation or handle Q&A, for example, in presentations, give them feedback um, when they go out and actually try and apply it. Give them feedback. Hey, I see you've got some new techniques with handling q and um, I like technique X or Y. That really worked, and here's how I know why it worked. Here's the impact of that. Um, I would also say for supervisors after the intervention, include any transfer outcomes in their formal performance review. If you're still doing any kind of documentation of performance, include those outcomes. Um reward them recognize them for that maybe put out on social media here's our colleague who went to training x now is more of an expert on this right and now if i'm the trainee it's like oh wow everybody knows this is public that i know more about this and and may seek me out and again that accountability kind of ratchets ratchets up and um Overall, I would just kind of summarize out, I think, for first-line supervisors is really modeling the behavior that that person went to training for. So if um, a lot of times, for example, as a corporate trainer, the people in my training classes on effective business presentations work for people who already had been through the program. It's important that they see their boss demonstrates effective presentation skills so that modeling is important so that's kind of what i see as kind of the more important things for first line supervisors before during and after
0: the supervisor needs to be involved you you can't have supervisors um, that they're looking after themselves they're looking after their team and then they've no idea what's happening from a, a learning and development standpoint they really need to understand what training you're trying to do and what the learner is trying to do by attending the training event. Uh, so it really sounds like they need to have this, an in-depth understanding of the goals of the training, um, what's being reinforced and what's expected to transfer so that they can really t- take a, a, a comprehensive role in the training of the, of the learner. So that's, that's element one. So you mentioned a couple of other uh, key players for accountability. What would be the next one? So,
1: an, another important stakeholder for transfer is, uh, includes peers or coworkers. And I think that these individuals, you know, first there are peers and coworkers in the training intervention with the trainee, but also back in the trainee's department um, who play an important role before, during, and after. And before training, I would say departmental colleagues who have already maybe attended that training, I would encourage them to share positive experiences they had if they attended that training, talk to the um, coworker about um, what they might learn, expect to learn, um, what they personally got out of, how they're applying it back on the job, and also departmental colleagues during uh, the training to help cover for anybody who's in training to make sure the workload is is taken care of so that the people who are are training can focus on that and then afterwards um, again that debrief and talking about things in a positive perspective acting with integrity i know sometimes departmental co-workers before interventions want to come off as yeah i went to that and they want to spill the beans on the important kind of integral key um, training activities or instructional activities that person might experience, which really kind of ruins it for the trainee and the trainer. So I would say act with integrity and allow that uh, trainee to experience the training, the aha moments, um, if they can And then I would also say peers from the standpoint of the actual intervention uh, before, during, and after from an accountability standpoint is, you know, talk to people in the program, um, make sure that it's a collective social kind of approach to how can we better master this content. For example, if it's effective business presentations, um, let's talk about how we can set up a virtual support group or some kind of area on our LMS where we can interact with each other virtually as we move on. And if we have questions after, you know, the training, we can interact, say, Hey, you know, I tried on the presentation to persuade and influence people. I tried some of those techniques and one or two of them bombed. Um, Can you, you know, give me some ideas on maybe why that happens. So peers who are actually in the training intervention can be important for, um, you know, holding each other accountable on a long term basis and supporting one another, um, kind of owning that transfer long term by the social interactions that they experience.
0: Yeah, definitely. I think I remember I heard it said once um it's it's really our peer network who are who are there to support us when we try to implement something new if our if our peer network are not interested in in learning these new things if they're if they're kind of if they're closed off to any new approaches or for people to um people who are trying to improve themselves if your peer network are completely against that it's going to be really really hard for for someone to improve mm-hmm. Um so what how how would you kind of influence the peer side of things would you send them like a like a like a one-pager about the about the training event some some questions to ask the the trainee when they return what what approaches would you take
1: Well I think you know a positive learning culture is is going to to help just people who are informally connected to the trainee and that's going to be a long-term kind of um strategy that you need to pursue as a trainer is, is really creating a learning culture mm-hmm. where people respond positively to training and learning and growing. Um, and if you have a specific program in mind where your colleagues are going to be important for that intervention, um, then I would say as a trainer, you might want to think about as part of the um, follow-up mechanisms, some kind of a checklist, or okay. learning aid about here are some questions to ask your coworkers, your peers who have attended this, um, how um, successful they have been or not in applying the training. Great.
0: Okay, so that's, that's two elements we've covered off now. So we mentioned supervisors as being crucial uh, to, to learning transfer and also the peers the peer network that that surrounds a trainee, Um, who's next?
1: Let's talk about trainees themselves. And you kind of mentioned prior that, you know, sometimes I can remember as a corporate trainer having people come to my program and not understand why they are there, why their supervisor signed them up, quote-unquote, for the program, not knowing what they're supposed to learn and how what opportunities they would have to even use the training. That's a huge fail, I would say, not just on the supervisory part, but I think trainees, let's talk about from a before, during, and after. Again, before, I think they need to um, acknowledge that transfer is important. Uh, if their if their boss asks them for this follow-up report after the program, is to think about how they're going to organize and structure that report. Um, and have a a specific goal for what they are wanting to take out of the program and um, specifically bring back to their department. During the training, you know, being a great learner and asking great questions, staying engaged, taking good notes, um, thinking about um, what kind of transfer action plan, and I'll talk a little bit more about transfer action plans once we get to the trainer, but Um, what kind of transfer action plan am I going to create of how I'm going to kind of change my behavior or do new things or stop doing other things that don't work? And then after the training is for these trainees to include transfer outcomes into any kind of formal performance appraisal documentation, submit their follow-up report, um, you know interact with their department about what they learned, what they brought back kind of a train the trainer role um, again, owning that transfer is um, was was something they took very um, um, clearly and importantly as a role in, in this entire experience and, um, and and I think that also I just want to say from a trainee perspective, We need to think about in organizations that some trainees are probably better at transfer again, back to the evidence and the research that you know those um, trainees who are motivated to learn, who are open to experience, conscientious about what their role is, their job, their role in transfer who have high self-efficacy, meaning they believe that they can actually learn and implement the new uh, trained knowledge and skills, and um, are good problem solvers and have a high cognitive ability. Those kinds of individuals as trainees tend to be better at transferring training and um, being motivated and able to transfer.
0: Fantastic. I think this is um, this is a huge opportunity for for L and D. I can I can think of the amount of training events that I've attended as a learner, and the it's designed in such a way that you know. Great material is presented. Engaging facilitators are there. You know, it's 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 very much about what you do in that training event. But no one spends that time to really make you, uh, as a learner, really understand that you're the one who's accountable for for turning this into action. You you have a huge role to play after this training event. You're the one who needs to go and, and do something differently. Um, and it's 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 definitely uh, something that I've that I've noticed o- over the years that. We, we really focus on the training event and not we don't really spend too much time on helping the learner to understand that they are the ones who are truly accountable for for making this a good use of time because they've taken time out of their day they've taken time away from their their supervisor away from their role but what was all that time spent doing? The, your, your, yeah, this is this is the the part where you need to turn this into action and improve at whatever the the training was designed to improve. This is where you need to turn it into into something real.
1: Yeah, and kind of that forethought and afterthought—that mm. it's not just rushing in unorganized and without a plan, um, without an idea of what's expected of you, but but that before, during, and after role. Yeah.
0: Okay, so that's we've talked about supervisors, uh, some great tips for for peers, and uh, some great great insights into the trainee side of things. What's left?
1: Let's talk about trainers. Uh, As we've talked about, trainers, according to research I've done, are most knowledgeable about designing interventions for transfer. That's kind of where they thrive. They probably are less knowledgeable, according to research that I've done, about um, individual characteristics of trainees that make them better um, kind of transfer-motivating individuals or capable individuals. Uh, And also, on the valuation side, uh, some of the existing research and transfer, not as knowledgeable there. I know there are other podcasts that focus on the design, but let's talk about um, trainer's role before, during, and after. Um, Again, with the accountability lens, I think trainers need to acknowledge, again, uh, their firm's expectations that employees need to to use um, their learning on the job, and then, actually plan to engage the trainees and have a discussion about these things. So um, actually, for example, as a trainer in executive education, um, before my uh, module is, I deliver it, I already have a built-in transfer action plan that I talk about with trainees at the beginning of the module, and we do at the end. And so this kind of transfer action plan, and maybe, again, in certain contexts, that's more of an agreement or contract, and others it's less. But on that continuum, I think a transfer action plan, the simplest way that I've designed this for executive education is I communicate this as a trainer to the executives, At the very beginning of the module, I say, you know, your organizations are investing a lot for you to be here today. They expect you will use this back on the the job. Here's one framework for how you might take notes or uh, document your takeaways um, where you can very efficiently, uh, from a high level, you know, take away the, the biggest sound bites. And I call it the start, stop, continue approach to a transfer action plan. And so, I tell them, as we go through the material, if there are um, evidence-based HR practices that you need to start doing in your department or organization, let's document that as we go. If there are evidence-based HR or um, management practices that your department or organization should stop doing, let's document those. If there are things you're doing that, based on the research we've talked about, you need to continue doing, Document those, start, stop, continue. And then at the end of the module, I actually break, I give that reflection time. We know reflection is important for learning. Um, And then they talk in groups, right? Kind of holding each other accountable. uh, You know, here's what we're going to start, stop, continue. I can learn from what others in the class are going to start, stop, continue. We build in time uh, in the module at the upfront. And at the end of the module, specifically on this transfer action plan. So it's not just designing good training, like active learning, opportunities for practice, immediate application, getting feedback. Those are all really good design practices uh, and principles that we know how to design good training for learning. But I think this kind of simpler kind of accountability transfer action plan that I've built in really helps to set the trainee up for success so that after the training, as a trainer, if I want to then push out follow-ups to my trainees, you know, um maybe one, two months out or a couple weeks out, whatever the time frame is most relevant, I push out relevant learning aids from the program, relevant checklists. Um, I I follow up and say, "Hey, how how did your transfer action plan really work out? How's your start, stop, continue? Have you um, what progress have you made on the start, stop, continue?" So now I have a framework for a conversation as the trainer after the module to, to kind of reinforce transfer, and then lastly, I think for trainers is to do some kind of evaluation of transfer, and and it doesn't have to be a sophisticated academic research study capable of being published in the highest HR journal with a Qualtrics survey and everything. I think you can do, you know, simple Google Forms or uh, SurveyMonkey, whatever your survey software is, and in in a very simple survey, anonymous, ask them questions about their learning objectives, such as before taking this class, could you do X? And put in your learning objective right there. Next question, can you currently do X? Put in your learning object right there. If you answered no to that, then please indicate why you can't do that. So if that was a learning objective from the the course, but they can't do it, you need to understand why as a trainer. And then lastly, how often are you applying your knowledge of, again, put in learning objective X? So I think that kind of simple follow-up measurement for transfer, as well as pushing out um, these kinds of useful... um, uh, transfer mechanisms or checking up with people can can really be helpful. Um, engaging the trainees after
0: the intervention. Fantastic, I think. Yeah, I love what you said there about making things more simple. I think as time has gone on with L and D, I think we've we gradually made things more complicated and more complicated for ourselves in order to to make the learning more engaging to to help people to 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 follow people as they even when they, they lead the learning through XAPI and all these sorts of different things. Um, but really what you're saying is we kind of need to make things a little bit simpler. I love how you said, let's bring in an action plan at the start. Let's flag this at the very, very start before training even begins. And you're going to say, at the end of this training, we're going to implement our action plans. We're going to talk about what you're going to do differently after this training. And that kind of really sets the tone for... This this isn't your regular training program. I'm not here to be entertained. This is I'm here to learn something because I need to do something differently. Uh, so I love how you 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 brought you made that very simple and you brought it right there right at the at the start of a training. It's a much more simple approach, uh, and also the evaluation sort of things. That's what you what you outlined there was fairly straightforward as well. Could you do this before? Can you do it now? And that's that kind of gives you that before and after comparison. It really shows has has the training that you've implemented been been impactful. So thank you for that. There, there are two really really simple approaches, and the the, the stakeholder grid as well is uh, is is going to be really really useful to anyone who's trying to influence accountability.
1: And, and I think that one little just last uh, follow up I would add for trainers is if you only do level one trainee satisfaction evaluation. Please do not uh, generalize to other levels um, and, and make generalizations that are unsubstantiated, saying the trainee satisfactions were high, right? They they loved it, rated the, train, the instructor, the content, the materials high. So they learned a lot, and they're using it all back on the job. Um, we just know from research, again, your podcasts are very evidence-based, that there's just not the correlations there and so trainers need to be very um very careful of making unsubstantiated generalizations just
0: from level one evaluations absolutely great call out there so you mentioned the the executive education program that you've been running have you implemented the the stakeholder influence grid in the executive education program and how did it impact learners
1: okay so Um, That's just one example of a training program that I'm involved in now where I I really explicitly have integrated this simple transfer action plan. And um, I don't have any explicit evidence to say that this mechanism statistically significantly improved transfer, but we do have more conversations about transfer explicitly in the program now compared to in the past. And we're very careful not to extend generalizations from any satisfaction made, um, you know, kind of measures um, going forward. And so what I would just suggest to to individuals is is really be thinking about as a practitioner, um, you know, in these podcasts, you're talking about kind of evidence-based tools in general, like learning aids and checklists and action plans. Uh, if those make sense uh, and, and in your organization, um, again, call them what you need to based on the continuum of the culture and strategy you face, but, but invoke them. If you can get some pre- and post-data That would be awesome. And compare um, what people were doing before the training compared to now. Um, Doing these simple kind of follow up transfer surveys I just talked about, I think it sets you on the right path.
0: Yeah, definitely. I love what you said there about like we're having more conversations about doing things differently. Like people are they have the intention to transfer. Well, it also
1: ratchets up their accountability because exactly. once they publicly state their intention, yeah. then their perceived um, accountability goes up, which is what we're talking about today—creating that ownership.
0: Absolutely, yeah, good call, it. <laughs> What steps can people do differently to improve in this area?
1: Um, I would just say, uh, let me target some su- suggestions for, for practical next steps to the, your practitioner audience and your academic audience. I would encourage your academic audience to keep one foot in the practitioner world by um, you know consulting, listening to, participating in these kind of podcasts and other kinds of learning interventions. Um, Doing those kinds of on sabbatical, you know, getting corporate stints and and, um, those experiences if you go on sabbatical is important. And not just to, you know, reflective academics and very practical academics can help bridge that gap and close the gap with practitioners. So for my message to practitioners who are more reflective is to keep one foot in the academic world. So try and look for evidence-based tools. And I would suggest um, going to, for example, Google Scholar and typing in uh, training transfer intervention and literature review, or training transfer intervention and meta-analysis. And by going to Google Scholar, and typing in these search terms, you can, I would read the abstract of whatever comes up. That's kind of the most recent meta-analysis or or most recent literature review. And um, see, you know, in the abstract, the introduction, the implications for practice, the conclusion, you know, what are some takeaways there for you that are evidence-based and keep you in the um, kind of scholarly world and then also on Google Scholar, make sure you, you pay attention to, it'll come up say, um, all versions, quote unquote. Click on all versions and see if there are any um, um, PDF versions or versions that are out there that you can get access to um, without having to go through some um, some database that you, that you don't have access to. And so try and, and utilize that kind of, of information. I think that um, in terms of where to learn more about um, the work that I've done, I would point you to, if you as a practitioner or academic want to follow work that I've done for years in training and learning transfer, um, go to Google Scholar. You can um, just um, search on my name, Lisa Burke-Smalley. And if there's some article that comes up, click on that, read about it. Um, Also, you can go out to researchgate or academia.edu and um, learn about research and scholar of other um, academics
0: and professionals who are publishing in this area. Fantastic. Really, really great tips. I think, thinking on myself and and my own journey into the research side of things, Google Google Scholar has been an amazing resource. Um, One thing you can do, Is you can also set up alerts. So if there's, you could type in those those search terms like you said, and then you can create an an alert for for similar search terms, and it 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 sends them to your email. It's really really handy. Uh, Academia as well has been a great resource for me. It's kind of like it has like a kind of a news feed feel feel to it. Again, you type in those those keywords that you want to see that you want to surface, and it it brings up this news feed of, of of great. Um, academic resources uh, yeah. straight in that app. It's very, very cool.
1: Yeah, and it's um, I definitely understand sometimes the academic stuff's a little arcane, so I would also say as a former corporate trainer is network with your uh, colleagues who are in HRD, OD, and other trainers to say, you know, what are you reading now? What podcasts are you listening to? What resources, um, listservs are you on? How, how is information getting pushed to you um and really get into that network and see what resources they are using because you could probably benefit
0: as well fantastic well lisa thank you so much for joining the podcast today uh, it's it's so great to have someone with with your research background and also the practical side of things as well uh, on the podcast to share what you know with the with the learning transfer community so really appreciate it and thank you for joining Absolutely,
1: you're so very welcome. Thanks for being on the edge of the knowledge wave and helping to kind of be that disseminator and mediator of, of of research and evidence out there to improve learning transfer.
0: Fantastic. Thank you, Lisa. As designers of learning interventions, we can only do so much. We can surface the right information to be used at the right time, But if the learner does not understand that they are accountable for using this new information, it will ultimately be ignored and transfer won't happen. Really, transfer is in the hands of the learners and their ecosystem. And what Lisa has given us is an ideal framework to work from to influence each stakeholder. Lisa has generously shared a stakeholder grid outlining what each stakeholder can do before, during and after training to maximize transfer. You can find this and many other learning transfer resources on my website, www.fergoconnelly.com. Thanks for tuning in.